Hello and welcome to Fans of the Genre, episode 4 for November 21st, 2016. My world's on fire, how about yours? That's the way I like it and I'll never get bored. I'm Brian Swanson. I'm Mikey Krieger. And I'm Rhodes Clark. That was a good intro. It's <laughs> our best one yet. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it it's in our top four. Yet. Did you write that? I, uh, yeah, I just thought about like the current state of, you know, political climate, where I'm at right now, and, uh, you know what I love? I love that meme of the dog just sitting in a room when the when, when like his room's on fire and he's just saying everything's fine. It's fine. It's like yeah. so good. It's I, so funny. Yeah, I I just posted that when I was trying to schedule D and D at work. Yeah. I, I put together a D and D group at work, and we were doing the intro campaign to Fifth Edition, which is a, like a four person campaign, and we had four people. And then I told like the people who were new to it, like, hey don't advertise that we're playing D&D because then everybody's going to try to jump in on this. And sure fucking enough, we were running seven <laughs> people in like a four-person campaign where... Oh, my God. Yeah, and initially we had three fucking rangers in our group, uh, which was a goddamn nightmare. this means. An army of so, archers. So, yeah, we had three archers who oh, like... Okay. <laughs> Yeah, who those are weak, weak boys. I remember playing Skyrim as an archer, thinking that I was going to be like Legolas, and I ended up just dying every five minutes. Yeah, like <laughs> like rangers aren't like they're not hard to play, but they're not like very combat savvy. Like like it's, mm-hmm. when they, when they get up there later, they get some abilities that help them out. But um, it was just a fucking headache, and we ended up switching it up. So one of the rangers became a rogue, and another one became a i think sorcerer like he just took a totally different path but it was a goddamn headache like it, it actually ended, like it the actually playing ended up fine we have a couple people who are like super veteran D players and some people who have never touched a tabletop like game ever like outside of like your standard board games um so hmm. we just having that weird dichotomy of people where like some people are like want to do the rules super heavy and I was the DM and I wanted to do it super light. So like the new people could right. you know, not be totally intimidated by Dungeons and Dragons. So it so went where fine are you playing? at work, uh, like during lunch. Uh, n- n- no, uh, we don't have enough time during lunch to do D and D. Sure. Uh, we're staying after like we were there until like eight on Thursday. That's cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, D stand for Dicks yeah. and dorks. <laughs> um, my friends and I, I, my first exposure to Dungeons and Dragons was in high school. Uh, I think I was a senior in high school and I had a friend who had run a couple campaigns, had run a couple campaigns of some other tabletop role-playing games, like known as Exalted and World of Darkness. And we all got really jazzed on this idea of playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so it was initially a group of maybe like four of us, but then everyone in my my uh, computer networking class found out about it, and the twelve of us that were or twelve of like maybe fifteen or sixteen of us that were going on this like trip to uh, another country to build computer labs for schools, um, all decided we wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons during our layover, and so my friend had crafted up this um, this campaign for twelve people, and we fought dire rats for like two hours and. <laughs> it was so chaotic and too much was going on, but it was really funny. Yeah. So I, it was my first time DMing and I was trying to make it harder since we had like twice as many people. 
I was like, okay, I'll add twice as many enemies. But then instead of keeping track of eight things, I'm keeping track of like 14 different characters in combat. And it's just a headache. So I need to get more creative on how I'm going to make it harder for them. Because, yeah, I I don't want to be fighting fucking dire ads for hours on end. Yeah. I've never done D&D. I probably would if it was with folks like with you guys or, or, uh, I don't know if people that like are actually interested in it and making it work and keeping it going. Cause I feel like it's easy to say, yeah, I want to do it. And then yeah, it kind of falls off. Yeah. So the way that, uh, my roommate Evan and I play is very close to like the way that the adventure zone does it, which is like really rules uh. light. Like we, we keep to the rules yeah. and like, we don't have it so scripted like the adventure zone. Like, they mm-hmm. it's it's largely on rails which was the point of their last arc um which the, the adventure zone is a dungeons and dragons podcast made uh by the brothers of my brother my brother and me and their father and it's really good you should listen to it but um yeah it's really rules light and exposition heavy uh it's really good uh but when you're actually playing it needs to be a little bit more character controlled and mm-hmm. uh a little more versatile but uh yeah, that's how we kind of like to play it is like more just lighthearted fun, just kind of dicking around and trying to do absurd shit in a yeah. imaginary fantasy world. That's how my friends play tabletops mostly too. We don't really yeah. get hung up on the rules, but yeah. a friend of mine works at a card game store and board game store. And he tells me about the D and D groups that will go in there and just like, yeah, put on the wizard caps. Really I've... into the stat building and the, and the things like that. And, and it just sounds yeah. so tedious and boring. No, it. Uh, Evan and I did that when we started getting into D&D. And, like, whenever we play, we don't, re- like, really worry too much about, like, carrying capacity and, like, making sure you eat, like, reasonable amounts every day. Like, like no, we just want to, like, play an RPG. Like, we just want to go out yeah. and play. Like, like we're not going to, like, let you carry around, like, an anvil and shit unless, you know, you have some actual way of doing so. Like, we're not, like, totally unreasonable in, like, what you can and can't carry, but... Um, yeah, whenever you get in like the micromanaging stats, it, it gets a little tedious and less fun. But, and like for me personally, like there are people who love that and by all means, like play it that way. But that just isn't appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Cool. Uh, well, D and D is for tables and this is a video game podcast. So for this cyber, move on. <laughs> for the cyber, um, Brian, what have you been playing? Um, yeah, I've been playing a not a lot, but starting to ramp up a bit of Heroes of the Storm. It's a man. I don't know what they call it. It's like it's a, a MOBA. It's, it's a hero. It is a uh, something massive online battle arena game. Oh, that so, really helps uh, <laughs> define yeah. it. So lots of people play this game, and you're matched up in teams of five versus five. Yeah, five versus five, and each person picks a a character to play as, some sort of hero within the Blizzard video game world. We're talking cinematic universe. Cinematic universe. Yeah, it's it's like an action strategy game. Yeah, and it differs from games like Dota 2 and League of Legends in that it's it's a lot more pick up and play. There's a lot less building a character. You kind of just pick someone you like. You can play as anyone from a hero in Overwatch to a World of Warcraft person to the Lost Vikings, which is Blizzard's first game. And oh, cool. so they all just play differently and do different things. And you work with your team to try to 
um, basically go from your side of the map to the enemy side and just defeat their their nexus or their their central building. And once you destroy that building, the game is over, and whoever destroyed the building's team, or whoever's team whose building was destroyed, loses. So, yeah, so it's cool. What I've heard of this one and how it differs from a game like Dota Two or League of Legends is the length of a game match. Like, is Definitely. this more accessible than other games of its ilk? I would say so. Uh, a lot of my friends were really into League of Legends back in yeah, like 2010, I'd... and then really into Dota Two, which is the this, the Valve version, um, who who owns Steam, the, the video game platform, uh, mm-hmm. those games last between half an hour to forty five minutes to even ninety minutes, and some of the longest Dota games. And so, those were huge turnoffs for me. You know, you have a friend yeah. who jumps into a game and they just cannot be disturbed for the, the entire length of that game. Yeah, the Heroes well, of the Storm. Really, like, what especially for a game where it's like. It's like hero based, so there's like dozens and dozens of specific heroes that play totally different, that fit in different mm-hmm. classes and have different abilities. So, mm-hmm. whenever you're trying to find out what works for you, you need to do it in 30 minute chunks of, at a time. So, like for you to try out five different characters is, you know, realistically like two and a half hours. And yeah. like I, I tried getting into League and I put probably like five hours into it, which seems like a lot, but for that game, that's nothing. That's a sliver of time. And like I, yeah. I really couldn't get into it. Um, it- and, and I think for, or for folks that like you know watch someone watch a friend play like Call of Duty or another mm-hmm. sort of game where you just can pick up a controller and start playing the game, the difference between a, a MOBA and a lot of other conventional games that folks generally play is that it's like when you're building your character in those games, it's like it's like breaking in a shoe. You can't yeah. just like put on your friend's shoe and it just like fit perfectly, mm-hmm. um, and so you can't. Be just, you can't you can't leave a game because someone else couldn't just match make in and play that character for you because it just wouldn't work. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so <laughs> for me, awesome. like my hurdle, like I tried League and I was terrible at it and I really didn't enjoy it. And I just kind of thought that I hated MOBAs as like a concept in a genre. Um, but then I played like my friend is working on Gigantic, which is a third person action MOBA. And I fucking loved it. It was so much fun. Hmm. Like I was playing it on mouse and keyboard, which I'm terrible at, but um, it has character or uh, controller support. And yeah, I played a my bunch of that, and I actually really enjoyed it. And so I think my hurdle for MOBAs isn't necessarily like the, a podcast, the hero-based like minion, but yeah, mm-hmm. like centric combat. I think it is just that most MOBAs are in that aerial view RTS style. Of like mm-hmm. point yeah. and click, and I think that that was my hurdle for MOBAs. Not so much that, like, the game design aspect of like, oh, like you have lanes and you have uh, heroes and minions and all these other factors. I think it was just that I'm terrible at that, like, aerial view, like, mm-hmm. yeah, map management. I, so, uh, yeah. I, I think it's sort of a failure on the part of maybe the enthusiast press to like explain what's so cool about these games because they've been around for a long time right and Mm -hmm. they've been popular for a really long time but i feel like the mainstream like your ign's and your game spots didn't really pick up on it until it was a little too late and for me i think i just heard people start talking about it and it seems so inaccessible and there's like a huge wall to to climb over before you even have like a fundamental understanding of how these games work um 
that it's just, it just turns me off immediately. I don't even want to like try. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely the steep learning curve and uh, a lot of the things that these games get a lot of flack for too, is the toxic yeah. communities of, yeah, yeah. it's very exclusive. So angry. Yeah. And if you're not good, which you shouldn't expect to be good when you first start, yeah. you're mm-hmm. just going to be yelled at or bullied. Yeah. And so that also well, turned me off to the other ones too. It takes so long to like get, competent at those games i I was really trying to avoid that uh yeah to become competent in those games takes probably like like five to seven hours of work at least yeah you know like that's zero 10 to 14 yeah and like and that's if you find your hero like immediately so yeah um yeah no no it's, it's just it's hard to get into those games because you need to become competent in it to like really get in there and, and appreciate it yeah but yeah it just takes so much to get to that point that it's right hard for like me and others to get into it really so yeah I, and I, I think oh go ahead brian oh i was just gonna say so i started playing hots like a year and a half ago and heroes of the storm me. heroes of the storm yeah like that, that, I, I was really confused and i know that anybody listening would be if i if i weren't like looking at our uh production doc with it like right there <laughs> yeah it, it launched it's a free-to-play game and it launched a, about eight, maybe two years ago now um and i picked it up with some friends because they sort of fell off the dota 2 train and saw me playing heroes of the storm and wanted to join me and so we started playing and fell off right around the time overwatch came out and pretty much exclusively played overwatch with the exception of World of Warcraft and some other games. But there is a promotion right now called the Nexus Challenge on Heroes of the Storm where you can get some skins for Overwatch. And so that's sort of sparked a revival that's in playing it. Play. Yeah, yeah. That, that got me interested in Heroes of the Storm, to be honest. Like, I'm not really mm-hmm. too into the other uh, Blizzard properties, but uh, what they put Zarya in there? They did, yeah, and Tracer. Yeah. Oh, and Tracer, cool. Yeah, it's so, like that's where I was like, okay, now I'm interested. Which are two Overwatch characters. Right. Yeah. Um, I might try it out then. This actually sounds kind of fun because I actually have an yeah. affinity for like StarCraft characters. And I, I became a little bit familiar with some of the World of Warcraft stuff in, when I was playing Hearthstone for a couple months. Yeah. And well, uh, yeah. 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 I'd, I'd be down to play. I like Overwatch. So. I'll play with you boys. That'd be kind of fun. Um, Brian, you've also been playing Pokemon. And I know, Mikey, you have, you have as well. Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Mikey jump into that and I'll sort of chime in. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I have so been tell playing me about Pokemon Sun and Moon. Pokemon Sun and Moon is the seventh generation of Pokemon games set in a fictional Hawaii called Alola. Um, Very good. It yeah, thank you. It bucks a lot of the trends of Pokemon. Um, main like the most apparent one is the gym system that's existed in the games like since their conception, where you fight eight gyms and then go. Um, take on the Elite Four afterwards and you'll tangle with a team in between all those, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it totally gets rid of that trend of taking on gyms and they replace it with um, with trials and the in each of the four islands has a big boss called a Kahuna um, and the trials are basically like Is there a big Kahuna? I, I God, I hope so. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, like the, the first trial was like, oh, go take care of all of the Rattata in this cave. And they're like a little bit stronger Rattata. And then you get to 
like you clear through that and then you get like get through this cave and into this clearing where you fight what's called a totem pokemon which is a super beefy sized pokemon like the like the uh, totem radicate that you first fight is like probably like four times the size of a normal radicate so it probably stands at like seven feet tall it's um, a, a big rat yeah no it like I, I thought it was actually really cool because it's the first time that there's been like like outside of the legendary pokemons that you'll run into in all the other games like it's the first time that there's been like pokemon boss battles mm-hmm. where it's like and like they can call in um like the radicate will call in rattata to join so it's like a one on like three fight like a typical rpg where it's like you're fighting the big boss and then he's got his little minions and so you're kind of taking him on that way and it's something that pokemon's never really done before i've um, heard of big boss he's in uh, metal gear solid <laughs> yeah big boss your your comedy's on point at 8 a.m Rhodes. thanks yeah i'm, I'm doing my best doing uh, what i can but it's like been a little bit jarring like not necessarily a bad way like i'm really glad that pokemon's shaking it up but mm-hmm. like the pacing feels weird because i don't have that kind of like definitive checkpoint of progress that the series has always had you're getting me jacked up about a pokemon game because that's exactly nope. my that's been my problem with previous entries yeah. it's like I, I keep they keep on saying it's gonna be a little different but the formula has been the same for yeah. like almost 20 years now do you feel like your hands being hold, held too much mikey absolutely that was my next point in that there's no there's like not really a grand sense of discovery like i was hoping like like the environments are so beautiful and like they're very detailed and they're more dynamic than any of the other ones. It's the first Pokemon game where it like, you don't feel like your character's kind of attached to a grid, like in Pokemon red and blue and like the game boy ones, like that was the necessity of the limitations of the game boy where it's like, you're moving, you know, one square at a time. And that's always kind of been part of it. Um, because you've always been able to control with the D-pad uh, your character's movement. And in this one, you can't. It's all on the circle pad, um, the like 3DS's fake control stick. Uh, and so like you don't feel attached to a grid, and so they kind of are able to do more with the environments and how they're presented and how they're designed. And it feels mm-hmm. like really fresh and unique, but the game is very linear. Like any time that you try taking... Like, whenever I play, especially RPG game or role-playing games, like, I always actively try to take the wrong path so I can discover everything and then go to where I need to go, just, mm-hmm. just so I don't progress past it and miss yeah. out on stuff. And in this, anytime you try to go off of the game's path, it, like, there'll be, like, someone, like, they're like oh, there's a Tauros on the loose over here. Like, you need to go the other way around. Or hmm. my... uh I forget the Pokemon, but like my big dog Pokemon is like searching for hidden items here. Can you please go the other way? And it like limits you. Yeah. It limits you in where you can go. And it's very, very linear. Like I like there's never really been like an open world Pokemon game. Like there's always been those kinds of limitations, but yeah, but to an extent, like you're still allowed to kind of explore and, you know, and go down, you know? So I have a question. How long have, uh, how long have you been playing? So I've been leaving it. Like, so I, I keep getting really distracted. Uh, mm-hmm. like, I'll, like I've always played Pokemon passively. Like I'll be like yeah. watching TV and I'll play it. But the way that this shakes things up, it like, it kind of gets me out of my comfort zone in a, in a good way mm-hmm. where like, I can't quite enjoy it passively. So, uh, it says I've been playing for like 14 hours. It's probably closer to like six or seven. Okay. I wonder, um, you know, I, I, 
Um, I follow this critic on Twitter named Brendan Keogh. Mm-hmm. I think he's an Australian critic. Um, but he, he tweeted, played Pokemon Sun and Moon for a whole Melbourne to Brisbane flight. And I think I might be nearly done with the long, tedious tutorial. It's really long. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Know, um, it, so, Mikey, is actually, and Brian, too, is, is your experience with it holding your hand beyond the like the opening tutorial or is it you think you're still in that opening no, I'm, phase I'm, where I'm, things are <clears throat> I'm, I'm on the yeah so I'm on the second island and I'm oh, okay I've beaten three of the trials so like whenever you beat the trials or the uh kahuna uh you mm-hmm. unlock a I think they're called like z stones which in sun and moon they introduced z moves which are like super powered moves that your Pokemon can like your team can do once per battle and it essentially uh doubles the power of a move where uh so like mm-hmm. I have the, like the fight phytinium Z stone which is the uh Z stone for the fighting type moves and I have it on my Pokemon and uh any Pokemon with that type of move can use it and so like uh I think it's like like ultimate beat up like where like you just like he does like this like crazy cinematic and then punches a guy into a mountain and like craters it kind of like Dragon Ball Z. Like it and there. yeah. And it's, it's basically like a, a double strength move that you can uh, trigger once per battle. If your Pokemon are holding the, uh, the Z stone. And mm. so, yeah, you get one of those. Presu- I, I think there's one for each trial in Kahuna. So I think that's like, like one for each type, which would be like 17. Um, and I have three right now and I'm about to fight the guy for the fourth one. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of cinematics, like it stops a lot, but it's actually like, I think it's trying to tell a story and it's, yeah. but for someone who plays Pokemon passively, I mean, who's to say if you're going to like retain all that, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that's kind of why I'm like needing to pay attention more and I'm actually like engaged in what's happening. It's just that it kind of stops a lot and, Mm -hmm. um, while it looks great for the 3ds and for and better than any of the Pokemon games to date, like the character models are still a little like, like whenever they, whenever you're just like in the world, everything looks amazing. But then when it gets into the cutscenes, like it doesn't have any like sharper. Yeah. Uh, sprites you know, for the characters. Very zoomed I've always, in. I've always yeah. wondered, um, so the 3ds came out and it had a very small screen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like in 2000, whatever, 10, <laughs> I think it was oh, no, 2010 no, 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 2011, 2011 was yeah. the, uh, 3DS. Yeah. Okay. So, and I thought actually the games looked pretty sharp on that screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every, every iteration since then has been a bigger screen, right? Like yeah. the, the yes. 3DS XL, the new 3DS XL. So I wonder if developers are building for a smaller screen and then no matter what their games are just getting zoomed in a little bit too much or if they're building for new hardware i think it's something that i've always thought about with 3ds games because i think they all look like crap on bigger screens i think that it's built on the original like 3ds yeah resolution do you think it's built to scale though okay so it scales up technically not losing anything it just looks no it's not the same resolution yeah it's just less sharp on the 3ds Um, XL. no and and it's it's been a thing of the pokemon games since they've gone like to that 3d style mm-hmm. where like whenever they zoom in, it just stretches out the pixels. Ugh. Um, but that kind of, so I'll kind of wrap this up cause I want to actually come back to that. I, the idea of the 
DSs in the screens. But mm-hmm. um, so despite all of that, it's much better. To, like there's the game design is far superior to any of the ones before because mm-hmm. um, like everything feels like like they kind of question like why is this here? What like why are things done this way? And now like in previous games they always had like the professor's assistants at like checkpoints where it's like oh do you have this many pokemon in your pokedex like mm-hmm. here's your reward for having pokemon in your pokedex and huh. this this time whenever like you kind of run into those guys they're kind of like oh yeah like i'm studying the difference in uh pokemon from this region and this region like if you get me like 10 pokemon from this island and 10 pokemon from that island like i will give you a cash reward so, and if for you helping me with my study so like you're largely doing the same thing but just a little bit of exposition to explain it better. Hmm. Like everything, like they kind of, they keep a lot of the silly stuff in there, but they try to make it actually fit into the world and not just like try to like, at least put layers on top of the really gamey stuff that they put into it. Um, and the sound design is fucking impeccable. Like oh, interesting. they, they added like little, like kind of like Hawaiian flares on like, the sound effects that have existed in the game, like since Pokemon red and blue on like the really terrible, like midi cards. Right. Um, mm-hmm. like, like and by like, terrible, you mean excellent, right? No, I, I, I love them, yeah. but, but like, and from an actual like sound quality perspective, like, yeah, like not great. Like, like, like where they've added like instrumentation to like the old, mm-hmm. old sounds, like, like it, it's, it truly is great. Like, like listening, like I played it with headphones and it was fantastic. Like, they put so much thought into like every aspect of design in that game, like much more than uh, previous Pokemon games. And I think it's important to say that uh, the director, uh, the director of the Pokemon games, has I think been the same throughout, at least since like so. Gold and Silver, Ruby Sapphire. And so, yeah. the like that guy's protege, and I'm, I forget their names, but. He's, he directed this one, and it was his first time directing it. And so he was like, yeah, now that I have full control of this, I want to, like, I want to start changing stuff. Like, not, like, change Pokemon, like, from a fundamental standpoint, but, like, I want to, like, shake it up and do new things with yeah. Pokemon. And it, and it re you can really tell. Like, they are doing so much new things with it. Um, they got rid of HMs, finally. Now, um, yeah, so now you have a, like, I think they call it a ride pager, where um you can hold on real quick yeah hms in pokemon were moves that you had to uh give your pokemon and only certain pokemon could learn them and once you made a pokemon learn an hm you couldn't delete it for a long time i think you could later on but a a a lot of the moves were yeah a lot of the moves weren't good so it was a total like burden to put this on pokemon but the HMs were special because they helped you navigate the world more. Yeah, like they they all had a purpose outside of combat. And a lot of the yeah, times, like, you have a specific Pokemon that you would teach yeah. all of those abilities mm-hmm. to. Yeah, called an HM slave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like to travel across water, you needed to use Surf and have a Pokemon that had Surf. So you always needed to have a Water Pokemon on your team, essentially. Yeah. It was um, a cool way of, like, varying your team, um, I think, at first, like, in the earlier generations. Yeah. Like, okay, I need a water Pokemon because of this, but, and also it helps me. to have that for 20 advantages. years yeah. Yeah. As, yeah, as, like, a mandatory feature. Um, so they got rid of those, and now um, you have mounts. So, like, there's no bikes, there's no HMs, and now you have mounts. So, like, the first one you get is a Tauros, and he can, uh, like, break rocks that are uh, obstructing your path. 
So like, there's like a little like mountain that seems to be, um, you need a new mount to pass. So like the first one, like there's rocks uh, blocking the entrance to this cave. And so you need Taurus to break through them. And then like now I'm up against like a big wall that I assume needs to be like the equivalent of strength to like move this big old brick yeah. mm-hmm. uh, out of my way. And so like, yeah, so the mounts I have right now are Tauros who can break rocks. Um, like Stoutguard, I think is his name. It's like a big old puppy. Um, and he can like search for hidden items like on the ground that you can't see. As and then, do. yeah. And uh, I just got Lapras who replaces Surf in the game. So like, so you just pull up your little pager and you're like, okay, I, I want to call this mount and start using this mount. So that's cool. Do you also it, it is, have the awesome. Pokemon as well? Like, do you get that Pokemon no. level? Oh. No, they they are in the game. Yeah. Um, like, I could have caught a Tauros, and I could have caught um, a Lillipup who turns into the big dog. Um, I haven't run into a Lapras yet, but... So you can get those Pokemon, but you have, spe- like, specific ones that you call to use. Like, so the Tauros you're using is actually belongs to the Kahuna from the first island. He's like, oh, here, let me... Let, let me... Uh, lend you my Tauros and he can help you get around the islands. Gotcha. Um, gosh. And there was another thing that I just thought that was going to bring up. Um, oh yeah. And I, I've been catching exclusively Pokemon new to this generation. Um, oh, cool. And, and I'm including Alolan forms into that, which are, um, new forms of old Pokemon Pre- like yeah. appearances and types. Yeah. 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 They, they change their types. They change their appearances. And, um, then like, and again, like they kind of tied those in, like they gave reasoning for those in canon for like, like Meowths are now a dark type because like they got like so accustomed to like living like a tropical, like luxurious life that they kind of got like sassy and entitled. Mm-hmm. And or so now Vulpix. I kind of stand. Yeah. Or the, my favorite one's the Marowak who becomes like, uh, he's now ghost fire instead of ground. And he's like, uh, I don't want to use any incorrect terminology but like like uh hawaiian like fire dancers like like he's oh, like a hawaiian yeah. fire dancer now oh, like his cool. uh club is now a torch interesting um cool. yeah, they, they made it fit the, the world and uh these are some of my favorite pokemon designs that's saying something because like, they sometimes are uh kind of like hot trash yeah, yeah. so i <laughs> literally yeah literally <laughs> yeah. so th- th- there were a f- a handful of good ones in the last generation. Uh, fifth generation, black and white, are actually like it's actually one of my favorite generations, which mm-hmm. I feel is uh, not a common, not a shared. Uh, uh, that's opinion. when I fell off the Pokemon bandwagon. And I, I see. Think I, it's, uh, I actually remember feeling like all those were a little uninspired. But, oh gosh, um, I, I loved the the Pokemon in fifth generation. The vanilla like, ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that, fifth? Chandel- yeah, that-, that was fifth and there's like a chandelier too i think yeah um but, but you also had like excadrill in there who's the the like gopher with like 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 metal drills on his hands he was <laughs> awesome yeah like i like i had a, a and that was one of the games that you had to play with that, that generation like it was exclusive and i, I, I actually, like it when they do that so, so do I. I i really wish that sun and moon did that um mm-hmm. Because like I'm running around, and it's like in the first area, it's like oh I can get a Wingle, who's a third generation Pokemon, or I can get uh, I forget which ones are in the first area because I ignored them. But uh, I'm really enjoying this generation's Pokemon, and uh, like I, I posted last night, like my favorite is a Lowland Grimer. Like I never liked Grimer 
mm-hmm. like as a Pokemon to have on my team. Mm-hmm. I, I was never into just poison types, and now he's dark poison, which is such a good type spread. Like, it's so hard to get a super effective move on him. Yeah. And and he's also just, like, I don't know if they, they adjusted his uh, stats, but he's pretty beefy. Like, he's a he's actually one of my best Pokemon, even though he's, like, three levels below my, like, top two Pokemon. Like, he's awesome. Do you nickname your cool. Pokemon? So, um... I have been playing, like, the last few times i played Pokemon, I've played it as a Nuzlocke challenge, which is a series of self-imposed rules that you play mm-hmm. with. And mm-hmm. whenever your Pokemon faints, you can't revive them. Like, they're, like, it's self-imposed permadeath. And you're encouraged to nickname them to make the loss of them, like, Love much them more. Se- more severe. Yeah. So it's like XCOM. Yeah. It's, so it's I, cre- yeah, creating that subset of rules to make it a more yeah. difficult challenge narratively yeah. too. So well, I, we're gonna I, talk about self imposed rules in a little yeah. bit. But um, uh, but yeah, so I I usually play that with nicknames and like my normal ones I don't, but I had a really good nickname for my starter and I was like, I can't just have my starter uh be the only one with a nickname. So I I have been nicknaming them all. Nice. I named my Poplio my sweet boy. Your sweet boy. That's perfect. Yeah, his name is is my it, sweet so boy. It, so when it says like, go, my sweet boy. I choose you, my sweet boy. Okay. Yeah. My sweet boy used water gun. I like <laughs> it. That's pretty good. It's really great. Um, Brian, do you have any other thoughts on Pokemon? Um, I like it. I want to stick with it. I'm only, I'm only about an hour in. The tutorial okay. almost reminds me of like Twilight Princess level like Ooh, link. Boy. Which is Zelda, yeah. the Zelda on the, Wii, on the Wii and the GameCube. And it's just yeah. like two hours oh, skyward sword one wasn't any good either that one is so bad no, the whole game was just oh. um i want to talk real quick about a little game that uh came out a couple months ago but um it's called virginia it's a it's a first person narrative adventure game and that sounds really vague but basically you assume the role of someone uh who is a rookie fbi agent and you're tasked with um, solving this case of a missing kid with uh, a more hardened veteran FBI agent in this rural town in Virginia. Uh, it's a different sort of game because it there's no dialogue at all, and every um, every story beat is just told through you know your physical interactions and really subtle emotional twitches in the face um, and and other things like that and. Um, it's also got a really great aesthetic like its art design is really strong it's kind of this like pseudo i don't want to say cell shaded but it's kind of lo-fi but every but they've spent a lot of time building out the environments and that it it actually has a a really strong sense of place like they they consider you know if you're approaching someone's desk in their office they've got an extension cord from the wall that has a power strip next to the desk and their lamp and their computer or whatever is like plugged in to that. And there's just little tiny, little tiny, like things you wouldn't think about when you're building a level or when you're imagining a room, but it's the little details that kind of bring it to life. Yeah. Um, so just because it's novel and it's interesting and I think it's pretty cheap, I recommend people play it, but the narrative sort of falls apart for me as you, the more and more you get into it. Um, there's no like levels, right? You just sort of walk through the environment and 
the game does uh, hard cuts um, to transition. So it's more like a movie than it is like a game. Um, so you'll be like walking into a room and you open the door and instead of seeing what's inside, you'll hard cut to the next location. Um, so in a way that's really interesting because it, I want to stop using that word. Sorry. It, uh, it's compelling. It, it's compelling. Yeah. You only have what's put in front of you and in a, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways that works in its favor, but it also moves things too quickly. So I, I missed a lot yeah. of story beats that I had to look up later. Yeah. Um, so like that reminds me a lot. Like, so the way you're describing a lot of things, like it pulls apart from some of the best games of last generation where like the face twitching from like LA Noir, like that was a huge deal where like, I wouldn't know. I don't know if it would be like that. It's just more subtle. Like, you know, okay. because you have no dialogue, you're paying attention to audio cues or okay. like the way someone's looking at you. It's just like, yeah. they kind of have like cartoony faces. So it's actually yeah. not quite like LA Noir. It's more like their eye might kind of shift. To uh, like so, a, so it's a little more deliberate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then the, like, where you have what's in front of you or what you've discovered, like, that reminds me of Heavy Rain, where, like, uh, there are certain narrative paths that open up to you based on the clues that you found. Mm -hmm. And, like, there, there could yeah. be a clue, like, that was, like, right in front of you that you just totally missed. But, like, the character's not going to pick that up if you don't. And that's So this kind of reminds me of the, weirdly enough, of Pokemon, <laughs> where it's, like, it's... Uh, it's pretty linear. You can only really interact with one thing at any given time. So when I say that you might miss something, you're not even really looking for clues. You're just going from point A to point B and taking in what the game is trying to tell you, right? Okay. Like you can, you can explore your environments, but you can't do anything with it. You just sort of like look at everything. But right. anyway, so when you, when you want to advance to the next thing, you just like interact with what's ready for you and they'll, they'll present you like a piece of paper. And if you're supposed to read that piece of paper in a given amount of time and you're, you're a slow reader, like I am, and they just whip yeah. it away from you, like you might miss something. Um, yeah. because so it's weird. It's a cool game though. I, I still recommend it cause it, it's got such a cool style and I've never seen anything like it. Um, yeah. but you know, I've been talking about like how I want these first person narrative adventure games to be like less gamey, like less mm -hmm. interactive or, you know, stop trying to make me do uh, like puzzles and, and platforming or whatever. Um, yeah. Just like tell me the, the story. The Valiant Hearts. Yeah. Or uh, like problem or like uh, Telltale games. Like sometimes they make you just do arbitrary crap just right. to yeah. progress just, just to and, fulfill the basic requirements of a quote unquote video game yeah and this one i feel like does a little it doesn't do enough i would yeah. like a little bit more like if i could interact with multiple things in an environment instead of just one mm -hmm. if it didn't if it let me breathe in a space a little bit longer um i don't know yeah i'm looking up images of this and it has the art style of essentially like every vr game Yes. How do you think that this would be affected by VR? Like, would that make it um, better? It might. I mean, because because then th th then you're subverting the gamey stuff with like just being immersion. in the space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I think uh, that'd be kind of interesting um, because it actually already does a really good job. Like, if you look down, you'll see your your hands and your your torso mm -hmm. and your feet moving. Um, and I really like it when games do that, when you're not just a floating camera, when you actually feel like you're a person. Yeah. And yeah. this game, part of the reason why the narrative falls apart is because it's trying to like throw so much at you. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but like, you know, you, 
it cuts to like dream sequences a lot. Yeah. And they're so, they establish such a, like a sense of place. Like I say, that you're not really sure what's a dream and what's not in a lot of ways, but there are moments when you look down and the color of your skin is different than the primary character. So like, it just kind of plays with your expectations a lot, which I really appreciated. But by the end of it, when the credits started rolling, I was like, that was it. Like, I didn't, I don't understand anything that just happened. And it's also because I started playing it three months ago and then kind of picked up where I left off. So I think there's stuff that I missed. So it's my own fault, you know, but um, having to look stuff up afterward and be like, oh, that sort of relationship was a totally different relationship than I thought in my head. Uh And that informs the narrative so much more than my original thought about it. Um, I have a quick aside about it. Uh, I just pulled it up on Steam. I didn't realize that it was a... I mean, rated M for mature. Um, is there, like, I guess when I just sort of looked at the art style, I didn't really expect mm-hmm. it to be, like, mature. Um, yeah. What sort of themes are in it that, like, put that that rating on it? Um, I think adult themes, like, there's no sex as far as I can tell. Uh, that would be odd. That would be kind of odd for that sort of cartoony style. I think there's, like, implied death there's implied loss of um like you know a child abducted Mm. uh you know what there might be some there's like alcohol and tobacco use but i don't think that would ever stop it from being what was that teen yeah i know yeah so yeah it says violent suggestive themes and use of of drugs and alcohol yeah um i guess i just look at art style like that and i don't expect it to yeah you know it might be like rated m the same way that like if true detective was a movie it might be rated r i don't know like except true detective has a lot of sex so i i I don't know i think they're trying to say it's not a game for babbies no babbies here it might just be like the adult themes like you know it is in a way it assumes a lot of the the player like to figure out what's going on it doesn't hold your hand um so maybe it just kind of caters to an older yeah audience no and uh, so i i I remember when it came out like everyone was talking about how the two protagonists are women and women of color right yeah um and yeah and that's pretty cool it it's you know i i feel weirdly about it because i want to sing its praises and a lot of people i respect praised it for the fact that it deals with two women of color as the primary yeah. characters and, and it actually embraces what it would be like to be FBI agents of color in the late eighties and early nineties. Um, so it, it's like a very real human thing, but I just think that it, like I said, but, but, but it doesn't feel it because of that. Apart. It feels because of no other well, things, lack of engagement. Right. And what I'm saying is like, I want it, I wanted to yeah. love it more than I did. And I think yeah. it really nails, uh, its characters and it and its and its environments, but um, in terms of like understanding what's going on, mm-hmm. it was a little tough. But I posted some really cool animated shorts uh, gifs on my Twitter um, via the new PS4 update, which is kind of cool. Um, have to look at those. They're really lo-fi, and I think that's just a limitation of the PS4. But it, yeah. they're pretty fun to look at. Um, but yeah, that's kind of all I've been playing, other than uh, Titanfall and Battlefield. But we've talked a lot about that. So I think all of our topics that we brought to the table could actually kind of lend themselves to one. Yeah, Um, definitely. I don't know who wants to start with with this, but 
Oh, my cat just climbed on the table. There you go. Um, yeah, get down. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I've felt what Brian feels with his topic. And when you listen to a lot of podcasts and you watch a lot of videos and you read a lot of websites, everyone in the gaming press seems to be talking about the same games at the same time. Yeah. And if they all have positive things to say or if they're all going in depth, you want to be part of that conversation even if you're not talking to those people. Um, you want to understand what they're what they're talking about. So there's a lot of this pressure, right, Brian, to, to play the games so you're part of this conversation. Yeah. And how and do I, we how do we sort of deal with that? I mean I think it's a it's a symptom of being plugged into Twitter maybe a little bit too much, but just sort of um attempting to interact with and maybe even being successful in like tweeting at games journalists or reading their tweets, you know, it, it feels like they're, you know, they are always talking about what just came out because that's what their job is. But, yeah. you know, I always want to be involved in that too, to some extent, but you know, we're not the folks who are going to be getting watchdogs too early or, uh, no. any of the triple A titles, but, but, but you sort like, of see that. And even when it gets to like game of the year time, like, it seems like all I can hear on like any of my gaming podcasts are like, Oh yeah, yep. I'm still behind on all my games. So like, even though it seems like we're like, really like, like, Oh my gosh, they're just playing all of the games. Like <laughs> I think, I think that they like get like kind of, I don't want to say vertical slices of it, but they get like their small experiences with it, like enough to talk about professionally. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I think a lot of it is a perspective issue on the audience, but, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Like, I feel pressured to, it sort of culminated itself um, on, like, maybe Wednesday or Thursday of, of this past week where I was sitting in, on my, at my computer at, like, 8 p.m. at night, and I kept seeing all of this footage about Watch Dogs 2, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy it right now. I'm going to buy Watch Dogs 2 and play it, and I pull it up in Steam only to realize that it's not available on PC until the 29th of November, and I just yeah. sort of felt kind of goofy and weird for a minute because I almost yeah. just impulse bought a $60 game that I might not be playing in a week if I yeah. had bought it. I, th I think it's going to be on sale on Xbox, though. I might. <laughs> that's uh, totally how I... Um, that's why I bought Titanfall. I was just, like, yeah. sitting around bored oh, in, my, me, in my apartment, and I just, like... Me too. Click download. And I was like, okay, I want this game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did that with Battlefield, and then, like, there was a sale on Titanfall, too, so I was like, okay, like... Tar yeah. uh, Target had it for like 35 bucks like the week it came out so I was like fuck oh, all right yeah I'll try it and so then, I don't know if there's like anything to actually like talk about with this other than sure. it's just well and I, I was telling you that my uh my roommate that oh yeah you and I Rhodes are friends with uh like especially since Pokemon Go like we've just been like non-stop hyped for Pokemon Sun and Moon and like uh, we watch Polygon's Nuzlocke run like every week and we're super excited about it. Just like, Oh yeah, the new Pokemon's coming out. And mm -hmm. so I got it and he was actually making fun of me because I like rushed home from work and I really needed to use the restroom <laughs> and like, and the Amazon package was on the porch. So I grabbed it, took it to the restroom and like opened it, <laughs> opened it up there and I like forgot it there. And he got home later and just like, you were in that big of a hurry to play Pokemon that you couldn't even wait till you're done using a restroom. I'm like, yeah, I really want to play Pokemon. Uh, yeah. And like, we were both like equally hyped for it. And I get, I get home yesterday and he's on the couch playing Binding of Isaac, a game that he's put no shit. Like Hundreds at least like hours. A, yeah. That, that, yeah. At least like five, 600 hours into Binding of Isaac. Uh, and I'm like, 
dog, there's a brand new Pokemon. Like you own it, you have it. Like, it's not like you need to go out and get the game still. And like, I, I know that that's like his, he gets home, he decompresses and plays Biting of Isaac while listening to podcasts. But I'm like, fuck, there's like, play Pokemon, like, like feel the pressure to play the new game. So Dude, that's me and wow though. I feel like, yeah, no, <laughs> that's like, me. That was me with destiny for a little bit. Or yeah. like any other, yeah. Like we Pac-Man championship edition DX. The first one was actually my go-to game for forever. Yeah. I, I, I forget. I had that this year really bad and I forget what it was that I was playing. Like I'll do that with my mobile games a lot. Like, um, mm-hmm. I have a, like a solitaire RPG on my phone that I discovered at PAX that I just, even though I've like beaten it like two or three times, like I keep going back to, um, yeah. So I wonder if this is just like, you know, we're, f- we got together cause we all follow the same people on Twitter. We all like, like the same uh, for lack of a better term, content. Um, like, I wonder if we just want to like feel... the same themes in games media. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if, you know, when I listen to people talk about games and people I respect talk about games, like, I want to feel validated in a weird way. So, like, I feel like I have to get on their yeah. level with, like, what they're playing. And even if someone's talked the game to death and I already know how the systems work and everything's going to be spoiled for me in a way like i still want to play it and that's actually been something that's happened where like i waited too long to get in on a game and then i find that i'm not enjoying it because i've already heard so much about it even though i felt like pressure to play it like alternatively like sometimes i just get fatigue from hearing people talk about a game for so long or like where it's finally out and i finally have it i'm just like i feel like like the coverage of this is just like beaten to death and it might be my like exposure to it and like me possibly like seeking it out but that happens a lot and i think that might have been what happened with titanfall like because i yeah that makes sense I, I was the only person in the world who didn't love titanfall 2 and like i and i went back and played titanfall 1 and like i enjoy it i, I love yeah. playing titanfall 1 but for whatever reason titanfall 2 didn't click with me like like without going too long on it like it just kind of has that like new like sci-fi aesthetic like it looks yeah. like like it looks indistinguishable from like destiny or one of the call of duty games. Like if it weren't for the mechs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and like the first one had this kind of like star Wars, like, like, Oh no, these kind of like rural planets are like fighting back and like protecting their lands from like this invading, like Imperial force. And like, it was like very rustic. It was very dirty and scrappy. And it like, and it had this, that like attitude of like the, the fuck you call of duty attitude of, uh, respawn the like so the original developers of call of duty modern warfare had a falling out with activision and left to form respawn and make titanfall and it had this kind of like like anarchist tone to it almost where it's like like even though it was being published by ea it was like kind of like not like fuck these games like we kind of made this game on our own and it's like more fun than than your game you've been rehashing for the better part of a decade yeah, and, and the sequel just sort of feels like it, it feels generic. Of, it feels yeah, yeah. And and I think the reason why a lot of people like it is because they didn't get a chance to play Titanfall one, and that might be totally my bias, but um, that's where I'm at. So yeah, so like I, I, it might be that I'm used to it, and I've kind of like it's not as novel having like the wall running and the mechs, but yeah, just Titanfall two didn't click for me. Um, and like and but yeah, I, I totally felt the pressure to pick that up because everyone was talking about it. 
I think uh, the games that have been covered to death this year for me that I don't think I need to even play, and I know that if I did get it, I'd just be disappointed, are the new Hitman and Dishonored 2. Um, yep. Like, there's so many great Let's Plays of the, the new Hitman game, um, and, like, so many breakdowns of its systems and like yeah. each level and it's because it's like been covered for the better part of the whole year because of the way it's been yeah. released yeah i don't need to play it so yeah it's an episodic release as opposed to one like package all in one mm-hmm. but the folks that i follow with hitman game too it's like they are so already abs- absorbed in that series that i can yeah. appreciate it more through them but if i were to have played it i would have just like right that's actually a really good point like Arthur Geese is someone who likes Hitman. Uh, Steve Gaynor and like all the Idle Thumbs guys and the Giant Bomb crew already understand how Hitman works. But every time I've played a Hitman game, I fail magnificently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just don't even need... I can appreciate it more through people who already understand how to play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've also just never really been super into Hitman. I loved Hitman Go, but... Oh, Hitman Go is great. Yeah, all, all those Go games are really good Pretty deus good. ex was deus ex was fine but tomb raider yeah. and hitman were fantastic um uh, real quick should we talk about uh, i don't have too much time but uh i would like to talk about like um watchdogs 2 a little bit yeah um, no like uh, our topics kind of weave in together with watchdogs yeah. 2 and um, um real yeah. quick i just want to like set the scene I was thinking about, well, shoot. First of all, Watch Dogs 2 is a sequel to a game that came out like two years ago, two or three years ago. Um, it's an, an aggressively game. mediocre game. Right. Yes. So everyone was like, maybe the sequel will be better. Um, Watch Dogs 2 is an open world action game. You play as a young guy from Oakland who's like a uh, hacker and you roam around San, Franci- San Francisco uh, like fighting the man, basically. Yeah. Um, but... There's something about its tone, which is really carefree and fun. And yeah. um, this is this is what and, I've been talking about for the duration of the show. Right. In open world games, you can like just run around and kill people willy yeah. nilly and run them over and like just cut, run amok. And these are supposed to be like, it's probably morally gray, but they're supposed to be yeah. good guys fighting the man who's like the right. big data. And they're trying to yeah. like, like protect people. But if you have the ability to just like go crazy and kill a bunch of people it feels like it sets like a weird dissonance and i don't want to use like a certain overused term in gaming but like it you know your actions are uh counter to the game's narrative and that happens in uncharted in a lot of games but it actually kind of makes me not want to play Watch Dogs 2 because i feel like i'll feel really icky playing it so i I haven't had any issues like avoiding a lethal approach to Watch Dogs. um like it's pretty big. You, so yeah, like there are like three play styles that it offers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there's like an assault. I forget the actual name for it. Um, there is the, was it trickster? Something like that. Um, where you have a lot of like toys that you're like kind of teasing people with, like, you have like an RC car or you'll be able to like hack vehicles and like create distractions with those. Or um, the third approach is called ghost, which is like totally stealth word. You can, like, shut off security systems and turn off lights and um, dispatch enemies, like, with, like, non-lethal takedowns. And uh, that's the way that I've been largely playing it. And, uh, yeah, like, I, like the assault approach, like, I haven't put anything into that. I haven't really, I, I haven't bought any guns. Like, I just have the one pistol it makes you uh, create and then your stun gun. And I never use them. Like, 
So it is possible to play Watch Dogs 2 non-lethally. And you think yeah. you can play it more in line with, like, the character's attitude and yeah. tone and everything? Like, 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 so far, I have z- I've had zero problems playing it. Like, I'll, I'll run into some situations where, like, people will start attacking me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in those times, it actually, it feels more appropriate than uh, than just running around guns blazing. But, like, whenever, like, you run into, like, a gang where it's, like, like yeah. oh, like, like the... Like, the fictional like Italian mob that you run into. It's like, okay. Like it feels a little more appropriate here, but then to just, yeah, yeah. Like go on a shooting spree, like mm-hmm. doesn't to- totally feel appropriate. Um, but like, so g- my topic was playing with self-imposed rules. Like, and it goes into this where there's no real definitive path for each of the three methods where mm-hmm. in a lot of games you'll see like, um, like you'll get, like you'll choose like which path you want to go down. And then if you break from that, you, you lose experience or you'll have some kind of penalty. And in this, like it's more just kind of encouragements and they each skill is associated with one of the three play styles. And so I think it's more of just like, if you want to play it this way, like we're kind of pointing you in the direction and mm-hmm. the way, but it's also kind of presented in a way where it seems like the game has three distinct systems and you'll be rewarded for, picking one and sticking to it which isn't the case hmm. i should say that i haven't played watchdogs 2 oh i played a lot of it it's it's really fun no uh, I, I believe you i was just i wanted to make sure that that was known yeah. i wasn't just talking out of my ass i mean yeah. i am just talking out of my ass yeah. um, <laughs> I just, i'm hesitant so yeah, to play like, it for these reasons no you're you're totally right like the characters are actually like the dialogue is phenomenal uh yeah. like it seems a little bit cheesy but like the voice acting like totally sells it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. It doesn't. It doesn't really take itself seriously, even though like the first one took itself way too seriously, and the uh, the the content of the game, like like the themes and <laughs> the uh, the narrative touchstones that it, like a lot of it's like a little too real. Like uh-huh. we're probably not far off from a lot of this like crazy like hacking world that that this game exists in, but. It has this kind of like it has it has a very like carefree, fun tone, and it doesn't like it's a mix between like Sunset Overdrive and I don't even want to say Grand Theft Auto because it's no. not quite that, but like the the tone that it hits is like a less comic booky Sunset Overdrive, and it's just mm. fun. Like it encourages you to play, it encourages you to mess with things and tweak with things and it's set in this open world and it's not quite as fleshed out as like grand theft auto mm-hmm. um there's not as much to do but it's a very bright and pretty colorful game and uh it's really silly it's really funny and like th- like this is what i've been wanting all year basically it's just like i got two really good games that are just nice fun like not totally up its own ass games like, between pokemon and watchdogs like mm-hmm. Like, it feels good to actually enjoy a game where, like, Battlefield was a very good game that I had, you know, that I would highly recommend and I enjoyed playing, but it wasn't necessarily fun, like, going through, like, these horrific war stories. Like, it was very compelling, but, like, and, like, I know that we're trying to avoid escapism as a term, but, like, that's kind of what, like, Waypoint had a really good piece about like Pokemon is the vacation that you absolutely need at the end of 2016. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's like time and place for escapism, but I don't think that's the sole reason why we play. 
no 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 not absolutely yeah. not um yeah. but these games are really good at that where it's like it just kind of you know shut off your mind for a little bit like mm-hmm. th- this game will like will present all of the fun and like lightheartedness lightheartedness that you need like both of these games like watchdogs 2 i wouldn't say is like remotely a contender for game of the year but it's one of my most enjoyable experiences this year like nice yeah like i i yeah like i kind of impulse bought watchdogs 2 like on like one impression that i had from one video Mm -hmm. um like i I saw the martin shkreli uh mission in the game where like there's the fictional uh pharmaceutical uh billionaire that just hiked the prices of leukemia medicine in the game and like you create a fictional um album from like so he he offers to buy this rapper's album like buy the rights to it like martin Mm -hmm. shkreli did with the wu-tang clan album and so like you totally trick this guy into like buying the album for like 10 million dollars and then you you record it all post it online and you just give the money to leukemia research that's awesome (laughs) yeah and it's just like it's silly it's fun like 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 yeah. you said, these characters are inherently good, yeah. even though they're you know technically like cyber criminals. But like, they're hacktivists, Mikey. They're ha- yeah, it's the activists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got you got to de-emphasize the H. The the hacktivists. Um, I don't want to cut you guys off, but I no. have to go somewhere very soon. Um, yeah, no, like absolutely. Uh, hot takes. Uh, Brian, you saw uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, I did. It kind of sucks to live in a world where you you are the minority of your generation who didn't read Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> I only read so, half of them. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the movie, but uh, it's hard to be critical sometimes yeah. um, about the series because I think that our generation has found our classic and are very protective of it. Well, yeah, you, you look at the reaction to the election where everyone's like trying to equate it to Harry Potter, and it's like, all right, guys, come on. Yeah, let's get real for a second. Yeah, uh, my whole thing is Harry. Mm, okay so first of all we're talking about fantastic beasts and where to find them the new film yes. um i'm actually really excited for this film because it's set in like the 1800s in america and it's discovering like a whole different side of this world like yeah the world intrigues me harry actually. potter doesn't is it 1920 yes okay well not interested anymore a different time yeah no 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 for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm out all right you, um, you lost me <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to fans of the genre if you like the show please rate us on itunes it really helps others discover the show but most importantly, word of mouth um, is the way we get popular. And we want to be popular. So tell a friend. Um, and then follow us on Twitter at fans of genre, where you can send us questions and feedback. Um, I'm sure we'll get a Facebook and an actual email address set up soon. But for now, that's the best way to reach us. Yeah. Um, you can find Sounds me good. on Twitter at Rhodes Clark, R-H-O-A-D-E-S-C-L-A-R-K. At uh, Brian T. Swanson uh, on Twitter. You can tweet at me and make fun of things that I love, and I'll get really defensive too because that's what it's all about. My cat literally just huh? hopped on the laptop, but we're still good. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mikey Krieger, M I K E Y K R I E G E R. I've got a lot of Pokemon opinions, and I like to tweet out anime gifts. Yeah, also, uh, ketchup is bad. So, thanks for listening. Uh, oh, that, that is the worst t- hot take ever. <laughs> you should tweet at Mikey and tell him Pokemon sucks so we can all get mad, too. Okay. Uh, I love everything, so tweet anything at me and I'll get mad. Everything anyway. is awesome. Um, thanks everything for listening. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. I'm going to go play with my sweet boy. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. I don't like that. I don't like that either. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Sí.